you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to begin this morning. And let's see if we can get my, are my slides up there. Uh, one more. There we go. Uh, we've been, we've been uh, using our theme of praying our way to Pentecost. That's the overarching theme of, of what we've been talking about. And today I want to talk a little bit about Mother's Day, prayers by the apron strings. It's really not a Mother's Day message per se, but uh, we'll tie that in here in just a moment. Um, I was listening uh, to Tony Evans this week on a, on a related subject, and he shared with me this illustration about where we want to go this morning. There were two men who were talking about theology and religion and things of the Bible, and finally one gentleman said to the other, uh, I don't think that you know uh, how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And the other gentleman said, well, I think that I do. He, the other first gentleman said, I don't think that you know. In fact, I've got $10 to prove that you don't know the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I'll take that bet. And so he began this way. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. To which the second guy laughed and grinned and reached in his pocket and pulled out $10 and said, I didn't think you knew that. <laughs> now, for one reason or another, and while I'm here, I'm going to see if my slides are not reconnecting here. I got the bumper video going on. And let's go one more. And guess what? There we okay. Oops, sorry. Let's just go back to the first, go back to the first slide for me. There, it kicked in. Sorry about that. Um, unfortunately, for a lot of different people, that can be almost a very empty kind of a prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Why? Not because of that it's a prayer, but that for many people it's just words that are recited rather than a personal invitation to share in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and and how to pray and communicate with him. Uh, today, we want to continue our emphasis on prayer, praying our way towards Pentecost. And uh, the question we ended with last week was, what is the Lord saying to you? And, and the second question was, what are we doing in response? If we've been taking time this week, if we have been uh, taking our journals, if we've been working our way through whatever devotionals you've been working through, what is the Lord saying to you? And what is your response to what he's saying? Today is Mother's Day, and we are thankful for all of those mothers who have had an influence in our lives. And, and again, I've entitled this sermon, Prayers by the Apron Strings, and you'll get to that in just a moment. And our text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. But I want to share two thoughts this morning. And uh, they're going to have to help me back here because I'm a, a slide ahead. If you can go, just click to the next slide for me. And I want to start with this premise. Not everyone will know or understand the need for why you are praying. Have you ever thought of that? Not everyone's going to know or they're, not everyone is going to understand why you are praying the way you are praying or that 
the need that you have, and that's why you're praying. Two thoughts this morning, and I'll see if this one starts. And you know what? I'm reconnecting, and boy, you know what? Sometimes you love modern technology, and we'll see if it goes. All right, we're just gonna do this the old-fashioned way. Here we go. It's the story of Hannah, which is the mother of Samuel. And she's praying, and, and she's lamenting, and she's sharing, and she's uh, weeping, and she's saying, oh, no, sir. She replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of a great anguish and sorrow. In this instance, Hannah obviously has been praying that she, because she's been child. She's childless, and, and we realize that the pain of infertility for many couples is, is very strong. But I point this out because that while Eli the priest was coming by, he happened to notice why Hannah was praying, or that Hannah was praying, and he didn't understand the depth and the anguish from which she was praying. I point it out because there may be some here today that for Mother's Day, this can be the most agonizing day of the year for one reason or another. And yet I want to encourage us this morning that God hears your prayer of, of, of heartache and of brokenness. And it doesn't have to be even related to Mother's Day. It could be any of us. For whatever reason we are praying, the reason we're praying, God understands and he knows. I want to remind us that the Lord still hears our prayers. The second one, and I'll get to it in just a second, is that of Susanna Wesley. Now, I like how uh, Sharon Glasgow informs us, and this is what she says, and I'll get to that quote here in just a minute. She said, hidden behind the door of many homes is the reality of hardship. Secret things happen that few want the world to know. Yet for some people, presently and historically, we are given an inside look, whether we want to or not, or whether or not they want their story told. A devastated home isn't always apparent at first impressions. Susanna Wesley was married to a preacher. They had 10 living children. But behind the door of her home, hopeless conditions were the norm. She married a man who couldn't manage money. They disagreed about everything from money to politics. They had 19 children, all except 10 died in infancy. Sam, her husband, left her to raise the children alone for long periods of time. This sometimes was just merely over an argument. And yet one of their children was crippled. Another couldn't take uh, couldn't talk until they were nearly six years old. Susanna herself was desperately sick most of her life. There was no money for food or anything. Debt plagued them, and it seemed that she was just overwhelmed. And to make matters worse, their home burned to the ground. She worked the gardens, milked the cow, schooled the children, and managed the entire household herself. So she decided to instead give the Lord two hours a day in prayer. And then this is the quote. She struggled to find a secret place to get away from him. So 
she advised her children that when they saw her with her apron over her head, that meant she was in prayer and couldn't be disturbed. She was devoted to her walk with Christ, praying for her children and the knowledge in the word, no matter how hard life was. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you would say, Pastor, that describes my upbringing. Pastor, that describes the situation I'm in, oh, in, one re- in one reason or another. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When Jesus' disciples watched Jesus pray, they came to him in Luke chapter 11 and said, teach us to pray. We see what you're doing, teach us to pray. So Jesus began to instruct them by saying, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And so we come to our text this morning, and you're going to have to help me here again. And our text is this. He said, like, he said this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And so this morning I want to share with you a couple of prayers from the apron strings as Jesus was teaching his disciples and how he teaches us to pray. And and the first one is the the safeguards that we want to uh, use this morning. What are some of the safeguards that Scripture is referencing? And the first one is this. Don't pray the prayer of the hypocrite. That's what it says in verse 5. It says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, was he condemning public prayer? No. He was, he was condemning praying for the wrong reasons and the wrong motive. Jesus wasn't condemning the practice of public prayer. I pray the uh, pastoral prayer every Sunday. We pray out loud. I love to listen to you sometimes pray when we're gathering together. We glean strength. So that's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, Jesus is less concerned with the form of our prayers, whether they were public or private, than he is with the substance of our prayers. Why? Because there are some who use the platform of public praying for their own motives, They're trying to live out their life publicly without making private commitments of transformation. You see, public is what you see. Private is what we are. Praying for wrong reasons has the wrong audience. Our prayer isn't for other people. Our prayer is to God. Public prayer has its place. Jesus says, listen, I want to hear from you, but if your motive is to live publicly without private faithfulness, I'm not really all that concerned. I'm more interested in what happens when you get alone with me. 
away from the kids, away from work, even religious duties, and we can share together. Those private moments are invaluable, he says. Well, here's the second safeguard. He said, don't pray the prayer of the pagan. And this is the praying with the wrong attitude in mind. Verse 7 says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of the other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again and again. You see, repetition without sincerity is false expression. It's babbling. Later in Matthew chapter 7, we preached on this last Sunday He does say, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. That's praying with persistence. That's not what we're talking about here. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching that it's about the words that we use and the motivation of our heart. False religions think it's about convincing their God. If I just badger them or continue... Have your kids ever done that to you? Just over and over and over, mama, 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 daddy, 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 and it's just over and over and over again. In fact, let me pause there for just a second and say something from last week's sermon, that when God does answer prayer, our prayers then change. When God gives us clear release or he gives us a clear answer to our prayers, that prayer then changes from, God, I need this or I want you to do this or God, I need your help here to one of praise. God, thank you. Even before the answer comes, I give you thanks. You see, if we don't shift that prayer after God has given us an answer, then we're just badgering God and we don't really believe that he's going to answer. False religions try to convince their gods. They're trying to prove their sincerity. But our heavenly father already knows what you need and he knows that. Prayer is an exercise of faith. It's not babbling. When we come to God with the wrong attitude, it doesn't impress God. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, here's the third thing. Don't pray the prayer of the prejudiced. This is the prayer prayed with the wrong motive. What did Jesus say? It's interesting, two verses. Verse 12 says, forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. But in two verses later in verse 14, it says this, and let's go to the next slide. There we go. And if you forgive those who, but if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. That's a pretty strong statement. Why? Because God knows that an unforgiving spirit has not settled some issues about relationships. There is stuff that is hindering an open communication and an open relationship and an open channel between you and God. 
So then how then shall we talk with God? Jesus took, gave us an opportunity to model not so much the exact wording because the Lord's Prayer really isn't some magical incantation. Rather, it is a format from which to follow. One of the things that we notice about this prayer is that it was for his disciples. It's, it's a model of somebody already having a relationship with God. Why? Because there's a part of this prayer that you can't pray if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it would be just vain repetitions of his words. So let's go to the model of prayer. It's divided into two different categories. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is about God. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is about us. Let's look at the first. Let's pray purposefully. What does he say? He says, our Father in heaven. Jesus is asking us to acknowledge that, that we have a relationship with God, our Father. We are his children. It recognizes that our interests are not of this world, but we have an interest in that God is the creator of everything. He's the source of all of our needs. He's the source of all of our resources. But he also says, may your name be honored. And that's the second one. Now in the King James Version, you probably heard it this way. Hallowed be thy name. It's not Howard be thy name. It's Hallowed be thy name. It's honoring God. It's, a, it's acknowledging that, that he is the resource of all that we have. Literally, it means let your name be sanctified. Let your holy name be sanctified by my life today and bearing the name of Christ, live in a Christ-like manner. Those are the first couple of steps of worship. Acknowledging God the Father, God, we acknowledge you. You are the creator. You are the father of all living things. And may your name be honored, God, as part of our worship. We're acknowledging you that, God, we are nothing without you. We honor you. To use his name in vain. Uh, we were, had this discussion not too long ago, and I usually reference this when I'm preaching on the Ten Commandments when he says, don't have any other gods before me. Anything, when you use the word holy in connection to anything, it better be holy. Because to use holy with anything else is to profane the name of God. I would go so far as to say it this way. As one commentator says, it's almost to the point of cussing. When we connect holy you know, when we say holy whatever, if it's not God or if it's not something holy, then we are profaning what it means to be holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Now, here's the third part. It says, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. What you're really asking is that the things of heaven might be evident in the here and now that the principles that operate in heaven might operate right now. You see, this is the part of the prayer that you can't pray if you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because this prayer is saying that we want those kingdom principles that are evident in, in God or in heaven, in, in our hearts first, as they are in heaven 
It's also not about escapism. It's not about someday getting out of here. It's about praying that the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of heaven, those things that Jesus was teaching his disciples, that they would come in the here and now, just not some pie in the sky, some time in the future, but that we might live godly principles even right now. Jesus is saying to us that before we get into a, the personal side of praying, that we focus our needs, our wants, our desires, that he is asking us to put things into perspective. That our initial prayer is not on about us, but about the one who can answer those needs. Our focus is on him and his ability. So here's the second half. It's about praying personally. Praying personally. What's the first one? It says, give us our daily bread. It's about our present request, the, the things that we have needs of right now. Is it about praying your grocery list? Well, not specifically. It's about the needs that we have. Sometimes those are relationship. Sometimes those are work-related or whatever it might be, but it's about praying for the things that we have right now that we need. What does he say? Don't worry about it. In fact, in Philippians 4, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And if you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is the maintenance of life. Tell God what you need. Now, I would say it this way. Be specific. Be specific. God already knows. He wants to know, do you know what you need? Don't pray like this. God, help everybody in the world. Well, that's a grandiose prayer, but how do you know when God answers that? God, help my next door neighbor who's going through some difficult times. God, help my coworker that I know has a particular need. God, help me to share the love of Christ with those with whom I work. You see, pray specifically. God, I need some new shoes. God, I need a new place to work. God, you know when I go uh, in, in that particular situation uh, that I need your help. It's about praying specifically. Now, you've heard me say down through the years, back when, before uh, handicapped spaces were readily available, my grandmother, she just prayed, she just believed that when you rode with her and they had to go to the store, she just, now God, I'm giving you 10 minutes. We live here and the grocery store is there and, and you know that we need a spot close to the door. So God, I'm just praying that, that, that a spot would be open close to the door. And you know what? More times than not, there would be a spot close to the door that we could pull into. You say, Pastor, now that sounds silly. Well, maybe. But if you can't pray for the simple things, do you have enough faith to pray for the big things? You see, it's about starting small. How do you teach your children to pray? You don't pray. You don't, I, I, I hope there's not one person here that has taught your children to pray this way. Our most gracious heavenly father who is benevolent above all other beings. No, 
You pray very simply, God, thank you for my child. Thank you for so-and-so. Thank you for Brittany and Bethany. God, thank you that they're going to do well in school. And God, would you hear their prayers? And as they begin to share and as they be, why, you're teaching, you're modeling that before them. Now, here's the second one. Forgive us our sins. Now, this is a difficult one because we're bringing our past into the presence of God. And I'm afraid that this principle carries with it some baggage because sin is a debt that causes a very heavy burden. And if not dealt with, it can totally weigh a person down until he or she is totally ineffective as a Christian. And it seems that we are encouraged to pray for those that have sinned against us. Now, hopefully you have been using your prayer journal that we've given you. And in the second day, I came across an illustration and I put both of them down here. And the first one is this about the little boy. It says, forgive us our trash passing as we forgive those who pass trash against us. I thought, you know what? Out of the mouth of babes comes some real theology. May we not pass the trash that comes our way. And I like the quote from Dana Walling that says, a critical mind isn't sin, but a critical spirit is. And there is a short hop between the two. And I thought, how interesting. We need critical thinking. We need to be able to make some decisions. But when it crosses over into a critical spirit and all we do is hear about complaining and all the things that are bad and all the world, all, yada, 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 all, 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 no. A critical mind is in sin, but a critical spirit is, and there's a short hop between the two. In Luke chapter 6, verse 28, it says, pray for those who spitefully use you. It goes on to imply that if you're unwilling to relinquish our grudges and hatreds towards those that have wronged us, we might not be so pious as to expect God to lighten the burden that we carry. I know there have been situations, I've shared them here before, I know that there have been situations where I've had people come to talk to me and it just seems like they just unloaded. And I've learned many times it's not necessarily about me, but it's about something that's going on in their life. And I remember sharing this story one time. It was a Sunday night and someone cornered me after the service and just let me have it. And, and, and we were supposed to have a teen thing at the house and, and Wendy was wondering where I was and I was late coming. And as I approached the house, my, my golden retriever trotted out of the garage down the driveway to me. And I remember kneeling down and I've shared this many, many times, but there's guests here. And, and so I remember kneeling down and hugging my dog and saying, you're the only one that loves me. Now, I know my wife loves me. I get all that. but And I remember praying, God, in this moment, God, in this moment, I don't really feel like forgiving them because I've been wounded. And in every wounding, there might have even been some truth to it all. And I remember thinking, God, in the moment, I've got to relinquish that to you. I, I don't feel my humanness but God, I know that you can do some amazing things. And so God, would you help me to love in return? 
Now, did I pop right back up and say, hey, everything's fine? No, because I'm human. But I remember before I left that church, when that gentleman walked by me to shake my hand, I could with a smile. And I could with a clear conscience say, my friend. And I wonder if there's an awful lot of people who have been carrying things for so many years that they've been unwilling to let them go. God says, forgive us our sins as those who have sinned against us. Here's the third, really quick. Let us not yield to temptation. It's about the future of our hands into the hands of God. If there's a sense here that God would actually lead us into temptation, no. But to understand this, you have to understand that this word carries a dual meaning. First, it can mean the trials or something that we're going through, a, a testing of our faithfulness, or it can mean that we're sort of being lured into it. When Jesus was gone into the wilderness for te- to, to be tempted, he wasn't being lured away. He was there for the testing and the trials that come. James 1.13, again, I've said it before, said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Understand this that God will never lead you into anything that he does not plan to lead you out of. You see, in this second case, we're subject directly to the source of temptation. Usually, the allurements of Satan, and we cling to the truths of God's word we find in 1 Corinthians, and it says this, no temptation is overtaken except such as common to man. But God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I remember years ago listening to a pastor preach on that subject. And he said, have you ever noticed that whenever we're being tempted, before you cross, now, now remember, temptation is not a sin. Yielding to temptation is. But before we cross over that line, that there's that small window of opportunity. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed the, 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 the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit that says, be careful. Stop now. Don't go there. What is he saying? He's saying we're all tempted. Everything is common to man. The things that we've been tempted with. Even Jesus, when he was being tempted... The things that he was being tempted, they were common to all of us. But I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is faithful to us that before we step over and commit those things, that there's that window of opportunity that says, stop, don't go there. Now, it's not a bullhorn. It's not blaring lights because usually we would notice that. No, usually it's the soft soft speaking of the Holy Spirit that says, I love you enough to say stop. That's what we're talking about here. The last part is about praying persistently. We're almost done. Again, I said the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. In either case, he's talking about persistence. 
In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, this is what we preached on last week. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And if you remember, the key things is keep on. Keep on keeping on. Some of you have been praying for situations for a very long time. And I would say keep on keeping on. Why? Because God says that will be answered. Now, it may not be the answer that we, we thought, but it would be the answer that God needs to answer with. So what do we do? What does all this mean? It means this, that not everyone's going to understand what you're going through. So pray. And when you pray, begin by honoring God first. And thank him for what he has done and is doing and will do in the future. And acknowledge that he is the source of all that we need, our present needs, our past failures that can be forgiven, and our future relationships with others. Aaron's going to come and lead us here in just a moment. But I want to come back to those two opening illustrations this morning. And I wonder when the disciples first of all heard Jesus talking about this. And he got to the various things in the Lord's Prayer. I wonder if some of them thought about their daily needs. Man, I gave up a whole business of fishing to follow Jesus. I remember that there are some who talked, who talked behind our back as disciples and they were remembering. And maybe even here this morning as we've gone through and the Holy Spirit has maybe pricked your heart. Let me tell you how those two illustrations close. Now I realize that those are two extremes of women praying. I get that. But I share those illustrations because out of the heartache of a mother's prayer by her apron strings for Hannah came the prophet Samuel who would one day anoint a shepherd boy whose name was David. And David one day would grow up to be the king of Israel And Scripture would tell us that he would become part of the line of Jesus Christ. For Susanna Wesley, she would raise two sons. You would know them as John and Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley's hymns we sing in the church for years and encouraged hearts. Her other son, John Wesley, would eventually change the the scope of history in England and would become someone through whom the Church of the Nazarene would find its origin and heritage. We don't always know how to pray. We don't always have the words to know what to say. But I'm glad that by the apron strings of some moms 
who felt overwhelmed, whose at moments their hearts were breaking, continued to pray. And as they did, God honored those prayers in some mighty ways. Romans chapter 8 says it this way, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. With groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit's saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. Would you stand this morning? Our Father, today is a day that we celebrate our moms. We thank you for their influence and their heritage. We're thankful, Lord, for the difference that they've made in our lives. I'm thankful, Lord, for all of our women. God, for the godly influence that they have. They carry heavy burdens that sometimes we don't always understand, like, like Hannah. And rather than turning to things that would not draw us to you, she chose to pray. And when Susanna Wesley just felt overwhelmed by the scopes of motherhood and responsibilities, the only place she had was to sit down and put her apron over her head. But it was by those apron strings that she modeled for her kids about spending time with you. Father, this morning, I pray that you would be with all of us today. God, we're thankful for the difference that you can make. And God, if there's someone here this morning or maybe watching us online who has never, never, maybe never given their hearts to Jesus, maybe today on this Mother's Day, it could be an opportunity to say, I really want Jesus in my life. And it's a simple prayer. Father, forgive me. I want to live for you. I am so sorry for the things that I have done. I may not fully comprehend what it all means, but I do know this. I no longer want to live for myself, but for you. Would you forgive me this morning and come into my heart? Lord, I'm thankful that when we pray that prayer, that God, that you are faithful. Would you help us today? to give you praise for all that you have done. Help us now as we sing. Help us now as we close. Help us now as we focus on you and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing.